So we are continuing our series entitled Pictures of the Gospel. Um, our presentation of the gospel is often left-brained. Uh, left brain is the part of the brain uh, for logic and reason, and we often present the gospel in a logical uh, step-by-step fashion. Um, God loves us, and we sin, and that separates us from God's love. Uh, and Jesus' death on the cross atones for our sin, and uh, we need to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior to receive God's forgiveness. That is the gospel in a nutshell, and you know, it's logical, it makes sense. When Jesus talked about the good news of the kingdom, he rarely made those kinds of logical presentations. Rather, he gave a picture of the good news by telling stories. They're called parables. Um, Pictures and stories are more imaginative and creative, and um, they're just more likely to capture our imagination. And I'm not saying one presentation of the gospel is better than the other, but I am pointing out that Jesus um, was creative in his gospel presentation. And it's not just limited to Jesus. The whole Bible is like this. It's full of stories and pictures of the gospel. So we are going to attempt to unpack the power of some of those pictures of the gospel in this series. Last week we saw how the parable of the lost sheep painted a picture of God seeking us out, finding us, and then celebrating. This morning we're going to look at um, the Apostle Paul using marriage as a picture for the good news. The scripture this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32. Um, You can either look that up on your phones, or if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians is about halfway through the New Testament. You have the four Gospels, the book of Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now, I use a mnemonic device to remember the order of those four books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it is go eat popcorn. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Someone told me that 30 years ago. To this day, that's how I remember the order of those four books. Okay, um, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32. We've asked Marvin Barnes to read scripture for us this morning. So Marvin, will you please make your way up to the podium? As he does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Um, We read from the center of the room. Uh, to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the Word of God. And so, Marvin, whenever you're ready, please read from Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 32. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church." For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. 
Marvin, thank you very much. You may be seated. Um, Shannon and I, we dated for about three years before we got married. And it was early 1996 that we, you know, seriously started talking about getting married. And so she knew that I was getting ready to propose, but I, I still wanted it to be a little bit of a surprise. So what I did is um, I made reservations for a Friday night at a nice restaurant to make her think that I was going to propose to her at dinner. But my real plan was to propose to her at Disneyland. Uh, we lived in Southern California um, and had year passes to Disneyland. They were a lot cheaper uh, back then. And so for us to go to Disneyland was not that big of a deal. It was something we did often. So we had Friday night dinner reservations and went to Disneyland the Tuesday of that week. Now, some of you may be impressed that I remember the day of the week that I proposed to my wife. Um, Truth be told, uh, that day that I proposed to my wife, my nephew was born. And so in preparation for this, I texted him. I said, hey, when's your birthday again? And he said, May 21st. So I looked up May 21st, 1996 online. It was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. Okay? Um, so I called Disneyland and explained that I wanted to propose at the park. Um, they gave me a couple of ideas of good places uh, in the park to propose. And the idea that I went with was the Mark Twain uh, Riverboat Ride. Some of you are familiar with this. Um, it's a triple-deck boat that sailed around Tom Sawyer's Island. Uh, it's a great location to propose. I proposed to her on the third deck of that boat. Um, now, I put the engagement ring in the ring box, and I put the ring box in my pocket, and off we went to Disneyland. Now, when we got there, I didn't want to do anything suspicious. And if I would have said, hey, let's go on the riverboat ride right away, that would have been suspicious. So um, we just did our usual ride routine. Um, now, uh, what I didn't think about is that our usual ride routine includes Space Mountain. So... Um, we are locked into our seats on Space Mountain, and I realize I have this ring in my pocket, and I'm like, there's a really good chance this ring's going to fall out of my pocket, and it's going to get lost on Space Mountain. That's something that would happen to me. And so I kept my hand in my pocket, uh, hand on the ring the entire time. Uh, it was the most stressful Space Mountain ride ever. Did not enjoy it, okay? But I didn't lose the ring. That was important. Uh, we also didn't go on any more roller coasters until we went on the riverboat. Um, so went to the third deck of the riverboat ride. I proposed. She said yes. And this was us six months later. See, that doesn't that look like me? It looks like me, right? Every time I look at this picture, I'm like, what was Shannon thinking? What was she thinking? Um, for Paul, marriage was a picture of the good news. Marriage is a picture of the good news for Paul. See, marriage is a picture of commitment. It's a picture of commitment. As Paul is giving instructions for how spouses are to treat each other, he paints a picture of Christ and the church, and he uses this marriage imagery. And the first image is that of commitment, because marriage is a commitment. You know, does a marriage that lasts for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, is, does it last because the couple is always happy and they never have any conflict? No, that's laughable. Marriages last because the couple is committed to each other. Um, and when it comes to conflict, 
uh, they're committed to do the hard work to resolve the conflict, or at the very least, to do the hard work to understand each other and try to understand the sources of the conflict. Um, but they are committed to each other relationally, financially, physically. Um, in marriage, things need to be sacrificed in order for it to work. Uh, you may have to sacrifice certain ambitions. You may have to sacrifice some things that you enjoy doing. But in order to make marriage work, you have to sacrifice something. Um, marriage is a picture of commitment and sacrifice. And if you go back to the passage that Marvin just read, and you look at verses 25 to 27 where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Marriage is a great picture of the gospel because Christ gave himself up for us. Uh, the death of Jesus is often called the Passion of Christ. Many of you are familiar with the movie of that title. The crucifixion was Jesus' passion. Why? Because he enjoyed the experience? No, because we are his passion. Sacrificing himself for our benefit to make us holy, blameless, radiant, so that our sins would not count against us. That is Christ's passion. And it says a radiant church. The word radiant here means being held in high regard. There is a level of esteem or respect that Christ wants us to have. And so Christ sacrificed so that we would be held in high esteem. God holds us in high esteem because of the sacrifice of Christ. And all of this is motivated by love. As it says in 1 Corinthians 13, which you often will hear at a wedding, where it says, love is patient and love is kind and it does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, the way that marriage is set up to work is that your spouse is in your corner and you are in your spouse's corner. Now, that doesn't mean that you always agree, but it does mean you are for each other. Patient and kind to each other. One doesn't think that they are better than the other. You protect and trust and hope together. You're in each other's corner. Now, one thing I have never doubted about Shannon is Shannon's always been in my corner. She's always been for me. Now, that doesn't mean she always agrees with me, but she is always for me. And there are few things as valuable as a spouse who is for you. Jesus Christ is in your corner. He is for us, not against us. Christ is patient and kind to us. Christ doesn't consider himself better than us. Christ is not easily angered, does not keep record of our wrongs, 
And Jesus Christ always protects us, hopes for us, and always perseveres for us. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus advocates to the Father on our behalf. Christ is committed to us. He's in your corner. Marriage, it's a picture of commitment, but it's also a picture of caring. Now, the first thing that I think of when I think of the word caring is, yeah, caring has to do with how we feel about each other. You know, don't you care about me? Meaning, don't you have feelings for me? Well, that's really not what caring means here, although it definitely would probably be included. To care in this instance is a lot more than having feelings. Going back to the passage, looking at verses 28 and 29, Um, where it says, in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. They feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Um, When we are sick or we get hurt, others will say to us, hey, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Well, what does it mean? to take care of yourself. Well, it means to do something. (laughs) Specifically, do what you need to do to get better. Now, a couple years ago, I was walking in my backyard and I stepped into this shallow little hole that my dog dug that I didn't realize they had dug, okay? Um, And I twisted my ankle and I heard three pops, pop, 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 which was followed by intense pain. Um, and I yelled, and then I hopped inside the house, laid down on the couch, family got me some ice, my ankle swelled up to the size of a baseball, and so to the emergency room I went. Now, it's embarrassing when you go to the emergency room to say, I hurt myself by walking in my backyard, okay? So I told the medical staff that I hurt my ankle by saving a kitten from a grizzly bear, okay? Um, so they looked at it, they took some x-rays, gave me pain medication, uh, and fortunately, nothing was broken. It was a bad sprain. They gave me a walking boot, um, you, and I used that until my ankle was stronger, did some physical therapy for it. Um, and all of those actions were to take care of my ankle. And why did I take care of my ankle? Because my ankle's important to me. It matters to me. My ankles have a role to play in my life. I need them to get around. So because of that, I take care of them. So they can do what they were created to do. Now, in marriage, there is this picture of caring for one another. We take care of each other in our marriages. We care for each other's needs, care for each other's interests, so each of us can do what we were created to do. Christ cares for us. That's not just a feeling. Christ actively does something about our needs and interests. As it says in Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Or 1 Peter 5, which says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, we all know that God doesn't give us everything we want, but we are given what we need. God cares for us. 
And look, life is hard. Sin has a lot to do with that, but I don't think God designed this world to be easy in the first place. You know, when God calls us to do something, it's never easy. God is always challenging us. God is always pushing us in our faith. Faith is hard. Life is hard. But just because life is hard doesn't mean it's not good. And in order to experience the good when life is hard, Christ cares for us, tends to our needs, so we can do what we were created to do. The picture of the gospel is an image of caring. So marriage, it's a picture of commitment, it's a picture of caring, but it's also a picture of being connected. Going back to the passage one more time, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 30, where it says, For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul calls this a profound mystery. We have this connection with Christ. We are members of his body. Now, going back to the time I sprained my ankle, in that moment, I really didn't care about anything else. All of my focus was taking care of my ankle. And it was my right ankle, so I hopped on my left foot, laid down, propped my ankle up on some pillows, iced it, took ibuprofen, did whatever I needed to do to take care of it. Why did that matter so much to me? Because my ankle is a part of me. Think about it. When you cut your finger or stub your toe, or even getting brain freeze from eating ice cream too fast. Everything within you feels that pain because all those things are a part of you. In marriage, when something bad happens to your spouse, they get cancer, lose a job, get into a car accident, it has this profound, powerful impact on you. In fact, You would rather have that bad thing happen to you than to have it happen to your spouse and to have to watch your spouse suffer. Why? Because your spouse is a part of you. And Paul says it's the same for Christ and his church. His church, that's us. When something happens to us, whether it's our sin that hurts us or the sin of someone else that hurts us, or the brokenness of the world that hurts us. It powerfully, profoundly impacts Jesus because we are a part of him. We are connected to Christ in a mysteriously profound way. As it says in 1 Corinthians, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And in Romans 6 For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are one with him in spirit. We are united with him in his death. We will be united with him in resurrection. We are connected to Christ. And this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ advocates for you. Jesus Christ considers you a part of himself. Now, if there is someone in your life who is committed to you, 
If there is someone in your life who sincerely cares about you, someone who feels connected to you. Now, I'm not talking about in some unhealthy, dysfunctional, obsessive way, but in a healthy, boundary-respecting way. They are committed, they care, and they are connected to you. And you treat them poorly? Or you don't give them the time of day? I want to gently but clearly say, there's something wrong with you. If you treat someone who is committed and cares and is connected to you and you treat them poorly, there's something wrong with you. That's not okay. Make time for them. Connect with them. Do something for them. God's kindness is intended to leave us to re- lead us to repentance. God doesn't want a relationship with you based upon fear. God wants a relationship with you based upon love and respect. Now, we have not earned God's love and respect, but God gives it to us anyway. In Christ, God has more than earned our love and respect. And if we don't give it to him, well, there's something wrong with us. Jesus is committed to us. Jesus cares for us. Jesus is connected to us. How will we respond? Please pray with me. And Lord, for us, it is a profound mystery how much you care for us, how much you're committed to us, how we are connected to you in Christ. And Lord, I would ask that your spirit would soften our hearts as we see your kindness. And Lord, that you would soften our hearts in such a way that we would be in your corner. Lord, thank you for being in ours. And it's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.